welcome back to another edition of the Mayor's Manor Podcast. Our special guest today is Mark Hardy. He was drafted by the Kings back in 1979. Played 616 games on the Kings Blue Line, which is the third most in franchise history. He was also part of the 1993 Stanley Cup Finals team. And he spent 10 years coaching Kings players following his retirement. Thank you. Thanks for having me, John. We have a series of questions lined up for you today. Why don't we first off start with the nickname, Harpo. Where does it come from, and what's the story there? Well, I was uh, it was my first training camp with the Los Angeles Kings, and um, I was uh, came into town for the first time to Los Angeles, landed at LAX, and uh, Charlie Simmer and um, Glenn Goldup took me uh, took me out for my first visit to Manhattan Beach, and uh, with having a large uh, afro at the time. Um, they decided that, uh, Harpo would be a good, uh, a good name for me because I look like Harpo Marx. So, uh, they started calling me that and that's, it kind of stuck. Uh, why they call me Harpo now, I'm not sure. I don't look like Harpo Marx anymore, but, uh, it was all fun at the time and, uh, those guys started the nickname and it stuck with me. Yeah, the Afro is certainly gone nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. I'll have to blame it on uh, blame it on stress and the helmet, I guess. <laughs> it's always the helmet. Now, uh, you, you played the bulk of your career in Los Angeles, of course, and we'll get into that, but, but you also spent a few years in New York. Can you talk about the differences playing in the East versus playing in the West and maybe even about playing at Madison Square Garden? Well, it was before uh, the Gretzky days, so, um, you know, we had some good crowds at the Forum, but not like Madison Square Garden, where it was sold out every night. The fans were, uh, uh, as many of them as there were, they were very, very passionate, and like I said, the building was full every single night. So it was a little more of a hockey town there than it was in L.A., but obviously, with the emergence of uh, Wayne Gretzky coming here, I mean, the people just... Uh, you know, got on board with the team and uh, all the uh, movie stars started to come out to the games and they started to have a very, very good team there. And, you know, now L.A. is, uh, is a hockey media and, uh, you know, now the Staples Center is full every night. So, you know, it was a big change for me at the time. And then uh, being able to come back and see how hockey had progressed here was just a blessing. How much of a surprise was that when, when you were acquired by Los Angeles and you came back to the Kings there late in the 1993 season? Well, I was with uh, the New York Rangers and wasn't playing very much and had asked to be traded. And I had talked to Neil Smith about perhaps uh, going back to Los Angeles. That was a dream of mine to get back here. And I'd always loved Los Angeles and loved living here, loved playing for the Kings. I always felt like I was a king at heart. And, uh, you know, they did me a favor. Uh, Neil Smith did me a big favor and talked to general manager Nick Beverly, and they were able to make that trade. So I was very, very happy to come back here, and that was the year that we made it to the Stanley Cup final. So it was just a great time in my life. And I would assume that making it into the finals there in 93 was the high point of your playing career. Is that right? Oh, it absolutely was, yeah. To see the people, how happy the people were that we had made it into the playoffs and, you know, won the first round and then won the second round and everybody in the town was watching the Kings on TV or going to the games and talking about it and 
you know, as a coach, you try and re- relay those messages to the players. And, you know, this is a year that the Kings have, I think, a very, very good team and probably a, a real good chance to repeat going back to the Stanley Cup again. Let's talk about the those playoff rounds there for, for just a moment. I mean, uh, there was obviously the fantastic series with Toronto that led to the series with Montreal, but... But somewhat lost in the memories of many was the goaltending controversy that was going on in the first and second rounds. You know, Coach Barry Melrose replaced Rudy with Stauber in the first round. What do you remember about that opening series with Calgary? Well, I just I just remember that, you know what, it's, that's where you find out where it's nice to have two really good goalies. And to have to make that decision is, is a tough one. But it shows you how strong Kelly Rudy was mentally uh, when he did come back. I mean, he was one of the huge reasons that we made it to the finals. And, you know, Rob Stoller came in and, and filled it and gave Kelly Rudy some time to regroup and, and just get his energy back. And when he came back and played for us, uh, he stood on his head, and he was just a big, big integral part of us making it to the finals. Yeah, Stauber played there at the end of the Calgary series to get into the second round against Vancouver. And then a few games into the Vancouver series, Rudy comes back in, like you said, as you started getting into the later stages, the, you know, the last few games there of that series with Vancouver, what was the mood like in the locker room or, you know, amongst the guys, considering the fact that Kings had never made it out of the second round before? Was that something that was weighing on the team at all? Well, you know what? We had such great leadership in our room and guys with the experience like Yari Curry, Mer- uh, Marty McSorley, um, Wayne Gretzky. Those guys had all been there before. They kept the room very, very quiet, and they kept it very confident. And they always said, you know what, there's going to be ups and downs in the playoffs. You just have to get ready for your next shift. That's what everybody did. We all grouped together as a team. There was a great team feeling at that time, and we just kept playing. And and that's the thing that you have to learn, I think, with the experience of those guys, that we never got down. And we never got way, way up. We just tried to keep an even keel. And like I said, we took it shift by shift, period by period. And our team played better and better as it went along. It was just a great experience to go through. And I think it helps you on later in life as well with with everything that you go through. You realize that, hey, there's ups and downs in life. And you just have to roll with it. And you have to make the best of the opportunities that you had. And those guys were, were just excellent in the room with us, keeping everything on keel. And I thought Barry Melrose did a heck of a job as well. In the finals, you had a big hit against Mike Keane. Is that your personal Stanley Cup moment? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. that that uh, It was something where we were down 3 nothing, and I'd kind of been in and out of the lineup throughout the whole playoffs. And um, Kelly Rudy, actually, uh, Kelly Rudy, Kelly Huddy had hurt his knee. Unfortunately for him, it gave me a chance uh, to get back in lineup regularly. And after waiting 14 years to get into the Stanley Cup, I mean, growing up as a kid in Montreal, that's all you dream about is winning the Stanley Cup. I don't know how many times we were, I was on the outdoor pond pretending that I was Larry Robinson uh, winning a Stanley Cup, holding it up. And knowing that our team needed a lift at the time, uh, you know, those opportunities don't always come up in the games, but uh, when that puck came around the boards, I wasn't thinking about the puck. I was just thinking about hitting Mike Keane, and, um, you know, it kind of helped uh, helped pick up our team. It got the fans going, and and the building was rocky, and we ended up making it 3-3. So that big hit was, 
was a big part that I remember, and a lot of the Kings fans remember that as well. Over the last year or two, all the talk about head injuries and hits and concussions and all those sorts of things, when you when you think back to that type of hit, how do you think that that hit would be taken in today's NHL with all the talk about hitting in the league? Well, I wasn't trying to hit him in the head, and, and I didn't. Uh, it was a shoulder-to-shoulder hit. We were both ready for the hit. So it, it was definitely a shoulder-to-shoulder hit. We were both going at each other. We were both ready for the hit. It wasn't in the back. It wasn't in the head. You know, you're never trying to hurt your opponent. You're just trying to get a good lick on him. And, you know, fortunately, he wasn't hurt. I wasn't hurt. But uh, the impact of the hit was uh, was a big one. And it, I think it pumped up our team and it pumped up the fans. So uh, I thought it was a clean hit. I know if you ask Mike Keene, he'll say the same thing. We were both ready for it. A lot of former players have been quoted recently as saying that the current generation of players don't seem to have the same level of respect to their opponents. Is that something that you agree with, especially having seen it as a player and as a coach? Well, you know, there's always been dirty hits in hockey, I think. Without the, uh, you know, I think the game is so much faster now because back then we were able to impede our the other team coming into the end. Like if my defense partner was going back for the puck, I was able to kind of interfere a little bit with, with that forechecker coming in. And now with the size and the speed of the players coming in, and there there's no interference whatsoever. I mean, these guys are big players when I played, uh, were, you know, like 200 pounds, maybe 210. I think that they're coming uh, 100 miles an hour. Obviously, they're bigger, stronger. Uh, the equipment is better. They're coming in with reckless abandon sometimes, so, you know, maybe we'll have to put a little stop sign on the back of their sweaters to uh, make sure that they're aware of it like they do in minor league hockey, but uh, I think with the speed of the game, things are happening so much faster out there, and and the systems in the game are so much more precise. Players are right on top of you at, at every moment, so I think it's something that uh, the players definitely have to be aware of, you know, they're going to have to keep a close eye on it, and I know the league is trying to do that. So there is an awareness, obviously, because of all the concussions that have happened. But you know what? When you make bigger and stronger athletes and, and there's no uh, interference at all, there's going to be a lot of speed and there's going to be a lot of impact during the games. Transitioning a little bit to your coaching days, you coached under Andy Murray. Uh, and from a coach's perspective, what are some of the biggest differences in the way that Andy Murray and Terry Murray you know, the way they coach a team and the way they approach the game? Well, they're both very, very intense uh, coaches. Andy was hands-on on everything, uh, very vocal on the ice uh, during practices, uh, making sure that the guys were going 100 miles an hour all the time. Terry Murray is more of a quiet guy. When he sees something that's not going on in practice, right, he'll blow the whistle, he'll bring guys over, he'll talk to them and would pick it up that way, whereas Andy would be on them, on them, on them all the time. So they just had their different styles, and both styles were very effective. I think uh, they were both teachers of the game, but Terry Murray more in a quiet team, but uh, still gets the results, and uh, I really enjoyed working for both of them. One of the guys on the Kings this year getting a lot of attention is rookie Kyle Clifford. And I remember talking with you after the rookie camp back in the summer of 2009, just, just a few months after the Kings had drafted Clifford, and you called him the MVP of the rookie camp. How, how gratifying is it as you sit back and watch Kyle Clifford you know, develop right before everybody's eyes this season? 
Well, you know, when I first saw him, I remember when he took his shirt off, and I just couldn't believe that an 18-year-old kid was, kid was built the way that he was. And then when I saw him on the ice, you know, you go to the draft, and we don't know too much about the, the, the players that are being drafted. You just hear bits and pieces of them. I knew that he was a tough kid, but the intensity that he brought was just the epitome of a Kings player. Uh, I just love the way that this kid comes prepared every single day. He's a true professional at 18. Usually it takes longer to learn how to prepare yourself as a professional, but this kid has come in and he works hard every day. He makes sure he gets in the weight room. He pays attention to video. Um, he's a very responsible young man. And I kind of, uh, he kind of reminds me of when Rick Tockett came in the league, uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers where he made a name for himself, uh, as a tough guy and used that toughness to get himself some room and became a very, very effective player in the, uh, NHL. And I see Kyle Clifford doing the same thing. Uh, I was at the game the other night there. I think it was against Vancouver and he just had an excellent game. He was physical. Um, he got in on the forecheck. He was very responsible uh, defensively and and also scored a big goal for them. So um, I just love the way he plays, the heart. Uh, he wears the crest, and that's a big thing about playing in the NHL is he bleeds the king's crest. And I just love watching this young kid succeed and getting better all the time, and, and that's the type of person that he is. Every time he steps on the ice, he wants to get better. So it's just a... It's just a, a thrill to see him, how he's playing this year and, and giving, uh, you know, some of the veterans something to look at and say, hey, if this kid's doing it, we can do it as well. Yeah, he's a high energy guy and the, and, and the Kings fans have certainly taken a liking to him this year. Obviously, it's a different era, but if you were a player today, which current LA Kings player do you think that you would be most like? Well, I'd really like to be like uh, Drew Doughty, but he's a much better player than I ever was. <laughs> I love I love watching Drew pa Drew Doughty play. He plays with no fear. Just his skill is is unbelievable, and and he is a winner. He is a winner. I remember Kevin Lowe when they were picking the Team Canada to play in the Olympics. Uh, actually, Doughty had been going through a tough stretch and. Kevin said, is this the best that he can play? And I said to Kevin Lowe, I said, the bigger the game, the better Drew Doughty is going to be. And I think the, the Olympics speak for themselves. I think uh, he went in there as the number seven defenseman, and he ended up being, I thought, the best defenseman on the team. So I just, uh, I, I think, you know, if I, if I could look back, I would have liked to have played like Drew Doughty. But Obviously a better player than I was, and uh, just a thrill to watch him play as well. What do you make of uh, Drew Doughty's up-and-down season this year? Obviously there was a little bit of an injury earlier in the year, but he certainly seems to be playing much better in the second half than he was playing in the first half. He got off to a little bit of a slow start. Some have said maybe a little bit of a big head coming off of the Norris Trophy you know, nomination. What do you make of it as somebody who's been on the ice and coached him and been around him a lot? Well, I think whenever you're a high-profile player like Drew Doughty, the other teams are going to key on you. And I think he went through that at the beginning of the year where he was, every time he was on the ice, they were trying to hit him. And um, it's tough. It's tough for a young defenseman to learn how to battle through that. I mean, every single night you're, you're going back for pucks and guys are trying to run you through the boards. And 
they're paying close attention to him when he's in the offensive zone. They're really trying to stay tight to him. They know he's a good puck rushing defenseman, though, so they're trying to angle him to the outside. So he had to deal with all those things, and you can tell that how good Drew Doughty is now that he's playing his game and, and learns through experience. All young defensemen have to learn through experiences like that, and you can see how well he's playing now. He's obviously adjusted to the game. He knows he's such a smart player that he's realizing what he has to do to be uh, one of the best defensemen in the league, and now he's showing it. And Sometimes you have to go through that adversity as a young defenseman or a young player anywhere in the league. And I think, you know, you have to give him all the accolades that he has been able to sort it out, figure out, figure it out that players are coming after him, and now he's playing a good game. So, it's, you know, I, I just think that what he's doing right now is, is unbelievable. Back to the physical side of things for a little bit. You, you were known to have a few scraps back in the day, especially when you were in New York. Who was the toughest player that you ever had to play against? Oh, jeez, toughest players. Well, I remember Clark Gillies grabbed me one night, and there was nothing, nothing I could do about that one. He was such a big, strong guy. Uh, I think uh, I hit him behind the net or something, and and uh, he said something to me at the face-off. I was waiting for the puck to drop, and then I saw his gloves on the ice. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> so he was uh he was definitely, you know, another player like Kyle, Kyle Clifford could turn out to be who ended up scoring goals and uh fought his way into the league and then I definitely got that room. So he was definitely one of the toughest guys that uh that I had run into. Another guy I can think of was uh, Al Secord who played for the Chicago Blackhawks and Boston Bruins. And he was another player kind of like Kyle Clifford, who came in and ended up scoring uh, 50 goals, I believe. Another hard-nosed player that ended up uh, working very, very hard to uh, turn into a turn into a great player. So that would be another uh, tough guy to go against. But there was many, many of them uh, that that played. But those are two that I can think of right now. If you were playing in the league today, is, is there a player that you would like to square off against, or is there a guy that maybe you you wouldn't want to drop the gloves with in today's game? Uh yeah, there's a there's a bunch, and uh, fighting to me is overrated. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't big enough, so uh, no, there's uh, there's many guys out there. There's one guy that's hurt right now, and uh, the boogeyman, Derek Bugard. There, he is a scary uh, scary individual. The size. And the strength of him as as an individual, I've really and plus he can skate, so he's really done. He can do some damage on the uh, on the forecheck. You have to be very aware as a defenseman when you're going back for the pucks. And then when he drops the gloves, he is uh, one tough hombre. So I would definitely uh, try and stay away from him as much as I could. Kevin Westgarth was commenting earlier in the season that he was looking forward to their trip to New York and possibly squaring off with the boogeyman, but that didn't happen as he was on the shelf, like you mentioned. So Westgarth will maybe have to wait another year or two on that one. When you say that fighting's overrated, does that mean that you would be in favor of eliminating it from the game? Oh, definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, uh, you know, it keeps keeps everybody honest out there. I just mean, when you when you do get into a fight, I mean, you have a good chance of getting hurt. For me, when I was fighting those big guys, it was, you know, <laughs> I felt like I was in a life-or-death situation. So, uh, no, I, I did drop the gloves uh, not that often. 
either to protect a teammate or uh, try and help the team win or if someone had done something to me. But uh, fighting was not my number one priority. I uh, played the game hard. And, you know, when you play the game hard, sometimes uh, you do get into those scraps. So as far as, as fighting being overrated, I was just talking on my personal behalf. On a lighter note, you, you were known for being a prankster. Can you maybe share one of your favorite pranks that you ever pulled on a teammate? Oh, jeez. Oh, there was, jeez, there was lots of them. That, uh, we were all, we were all pulling pranks all the time. Um, jeez, I can't think of one that sticks out right now. How about, um, maybe, how about maybe one that was pulled on you? Well, you know what? I played with a guy in New York, Lindy Ruff. He was a character. And I, it wasn't pulled on me, but it was pulled on Ty Domi. And, uh, we were at practice and Lindy, Lindy was hurt. He's now the coach of the Buffalo Sabres. Right. He was hurt at the time. So we went out for practice and we came back in and we were uh, going to a restaurant after practice and we, we had all had it set up that Ty Domi was going to pay for, pay for it. And what he didn't know was that Lindy Ruff had got the sewing machine out and sewed his wallet into his back pocket. So he was, he was unable to get his, his, uh, his wallet out of his back pocket. He'd sewn it so well, he was like a professional sewer. And before practice had started, uh, before uh, we'd gone out for lunch, he'd also sewn his zipper down so that he wasn't able to do up his zipper. He'd sewn it right in so that the zipper wouldn't come up. So that was funny things like that that, uh, you know, made the game so much fun for us. And it was fun to get Ty Domi because he was one of those guys that uh, always got under our skin in a good way. So yeah. I'm not sure that Ty Domi would be the guy stuff. I'd pull a break on. <laughs> well, we ran away. We ran away afterwards. But uh, <laughs> it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny. Skipping forward to you know some of your coaching days, a, a not-so-funny moment. Uh, in September of 2000, uh, Rob Blake resigned the captaincy of the Kings. And, and, of course, you were coaching with Andy Murray at the time. What do you remember about that day when Rob came in and, and gave up the seat? Well, it was a tough situation, definitely, for the team. He was such a great leader for us. Uh, you know, I think uh, going through the contract disputes and, you know, going through some hard times or some very, very emotional at the time. And it was just a tough situation to go through. But it's uh, it's things like that that make you stronger, uh, you know, as a team and as a player. Uh, you know, we were able to handle it, and and uh, I thought Andy Murray did a great job in in um, you know giving up the uh, I think it was Maddie Nordstrom who became our captain, and and just another quality guy, and that's why you have to have so many leaders on the team that have to pick up those things. But it, it was tough to see that because I love Rob Blake and I loved what he did for our team, and, and it was hard to see him go as well because uh, he was such an impact player for us and such a great leader. Now, I know that you have a lot of respect for Blake, and you, and you just mentioned you know, how much you love him as a person and as a player, but when he gave up the C, were you disappointed at all, either you know, as a former player or, or even as a coach, to see him do something like that? Were you disappointed? Well, I think disappointment, yes, but I think whenever a, a player doesn't want to be captain or the reason of why he doesn't want to be captain and that's something you'd have to talk to Rob Blake about. Yes, it, it was disappointing, but you can't have a captain who doesn't want to be your captain and 
you can be a leader on the team without having that C on your sweater. And sometimes some players, if they, if they take the C off, they play much better. And, and, you know, sometimes they feel the pressure so much that they want to do so well for the team that they have a tough time playing their game. So, you know, sometimes those decisions have to be made. They're not easy to be made, but it's something you have to live with and you hope that that player becomes a better player because of it and that your team plays better as a team because of it. So, you know, it's obviously a tough situation to go through, but uh, I think with all the adversity that we handled, uh, we did do a good job with it. So last question on Rob Blake before we move on and get back to you. Uh, should Blake's jersey be retired at Staples Center? I believe so, yes. I believe that Rob uh, Blake was a king and a, a king at heart for sure. I mean, you talk to him all the time. He talks about very positively about the kings all the time. Uh, he had some, some super games. He was a great leader. He was a great player for the team and, you know, a Hall of Famer should, he should definitely, uh, be retiring his sweater at the, uh, at the uh, Staples Center. I think it would just be awesome to see his sweater up there with the rest of the greats that play for the Kings. So back to, back to you here then to wrap things up. Uh, the other night when we were talking after the alumni game, you know, you were saying how much you loved coaching and you really didn't know what you were going to do uh, after retiring as a player. So how did you make that transition? How did you first get into coaching? And, and when did you know that it was something that you really wanted to do? Well, it was, uh, you know, it's, it was an experience that I had where I was uh, – at the end of my career, and, and the Kings decided to send me to Phoenix, and uh, Tim Bothwell was the head coach there, and unfortunately, he had been let go, but fortunately for me, uh, Rick Dudley came in as the head coach there, and um, he noticed something in me uh, right away. He asked me if I would be a, a player coach for him and start running the uh, penalty killing, and um, he loved uh, my work ethic down there because sometimes, you know, players at the end of their careers get sent to the minors. They just kind of finish off their careers. But, you know, I've always been a player that believed that, uh, you know, if you work hard, good things will happen. Try and be a good person. Try to be a leader down there. And I think Rick Dudley saw that in me. And, you know, I fell in love with, uh, with the part of coaching and, and playing at the same time. And then, Rick had asked me to uh, come with him to the Detroit Vipers because he was going to he was going to be the uh, GM and, and head coach there, and asked me if I would come with him there and uh, do the same thing. And uh, again, I, I just fell in love with the coaching part of the game, and it was very rewarding. And I felt like I had their respect from the players. Uh, they enjoyed my coaching. They saw how hard I played on the ice, and. And I got some real good respect from the, from the players. So it was an easy transition for me. I just fell in love with the coaching part. After, after doing that for about 10 years or so, um, you know, I think most people listening to this now know that you've been out of coaching since resigning your post with the Kings last summer. What do you want people to know about where you stand in your life today and, and kind of the events of the last year? Well, uh, you know, it was definitely tough. I, I definitely found out. I didn't know, but I found out that I had a problem with alcohol. You know, had to go to rehab. I went to rehab for uh, 30 days in a place in Phoenix uh, where I found out that, you know what, I really did have a problem with alcohol and proceeded to uh, to go to AA classes, which I've gone to. I've, uh, I'm very, very lucky to have a strong, loving family who supported me. 
Uh, all my friends have supported me tremendously. Uh, the King's alumni have uh, reached out to me and had me come back and, and get together with the, the guys again. And just to let the, the, the fans know that uh, all the support they've given me has just been uh, tremendous for me. And, you know, uh, I realize that it's uh, one day at a time, and uh, today I'm not going to drink. And, you know, I feel so much better about myself. I feel like uh, I've done everything that I can to... Uh, correct everything that's been done and whatever's happened in the past there's nothing you can do about that you can only move forward um and again i'm so lucky to have such a strong loving family that's stuck behind me from from day one and that's uh that's helped me heal it's helped our family heal and you know it was a, a two-second mistake that i made and and now uh, I have to move on, and I just want everyone to know that I'm ready to get back uh, with my life. Uh, my family's moved on, and and um, we're all together. We're happy, and, and things are going well. So, you know, I just love to get back in the coaching part of things or any kind of part of uh, a job in hockey would, would be awesome. I, you realize how much I that I love the game, and how much I've missed it since this has happened, but I know it would take time and I feel like now I'm, I'm ready to move on and, and, uh, I'm ready to get back into, uh, whatever position I can get back into. And it's, uh, it's a dream for me to get back into the NHL, but I know that it'll be a long road and I take it one day at a time and, and, um, I'm just hoping that, uh, someone will give me a chance. Where do you think that chance might come when you say it's a long road back to the NHL? Does that mean that you, you, you might end up in the ECHL or the AHL or maybe in Europe? Well, you know, you never know. I mean, those avenues are always open, and, and uh, I love coaching so much that I would go anywhere to do it. You know, it's, uh, hopefully an opportunity will come up in the NHL, but if it doesn't, uh, I would definitely look to other avenues to get back into coaching. and. You know, my dream would be to get back to the NHL again, but uh, you just never know uh, what's going to happen. Again, I have to take it one day at a time, and you know, hopefully, uh, someone will see that uh, that I that I have uh, recovered. I've made myself a better person, and and I'm just raring to go. I, I have all this energy, and I I just love to get back into the coaching or scouting or even player development. I just want to be part of hockey again. When you talk about the alumni. Um Obviously, you played with the alumni over the weekend, but who, who was the first guy to reach out to you and ask you to get back and get involved again? Well, you know, uh, Jimmy Fox has been so good. Him and his wife, Susie, have just been so good to us as a family. Uh, they've reached out to us uh, right from day one, and then uh, Marty McSorley and Luke Robitaille have been a big part of it. Uh, Marty called me and asked me to come back to the uh, our first game was in the Simi Valley where we went out and played uh, charity uh we played against a very good team there then obviously we had the fantasy camp here at the toyota center that was just a huge success the people were great i had a, a great time uh, we were with them for three days and uh you know my cheeks were hurting i just couldn't stop smiling the whole time and if you looked at all the players on the ice you could see the same thing and then play against the firemen uh at the Ontario Rain game before the game the other night there again. I mean, it's just such a great feeling to be back. And for those guys to open up their arms and, 
and make the first step for me to come back has just been very, very rewarding to me. And I just, uh, I feel very, very blessed to, uh, to have those friends. Now, one of the other uh, aspects of the game the other night there in Ontario was the fact that your son came in from Arizona to play, uh, which was something that you were a little bit emotional about uh, after the game when we spoke. Can you just kind of share why it was so important or what touched you about having your son play with you that night? Well, it was, you know, with everything that's happened, uh, just uh, for him to be there was just just awesome, uh, you know, for us to play together on defense and it just really, really touched me, and and uh, to see him score a couple of goals out there was uh, was just a great thing. And and you know we we talked a lot on the bench, and we were laughing and high fiving, and you know that's what hockey's all about is having fun and and just enjoying it uh, every moment that you can. And it was just so great that he drove all the way back from uh, ASU. He goes there, he takes. Uh, film and media and for him to drive all the way back to come and play with me was just uh just a great feeling and it really really touched me after the game and uh as you can see i had uh i had tears in my eyes after the game and it uh it was such a good feel it was a it was not a sad moment it was a happy moment and uh you know i hope there's going to be very more uh happy moments in my life in the future well mark i really appreciate you opening up today and sharing a lot of you know, stories and, and thoughts with us, and we'd like to wrap things up today by playing word association. I'll, I'll name a person, and you just tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Is that all right? Yeah. All right, here we go. Bob Barry. Uh, Bob Barry uh, gave me a chance to play. Barry Melrose. Uh, Mullet. <laughs> Andy Murray. Uh, Mr. Intensity. Terry Murray. Uh, smooth Intensity. Drew Doughty. My favorite player on the Kings. Jack Johnson. Getting better every every shift. Marty McSorley. True friend. Luke Robitaille. Uh, another true friend and, and better person. As good as a hockey player he was, he's a better person. Jay Wells. My best friend. Ian along Le- with Jimmy Fox. Along with Jimmy Fox. Ian LaPerriere. Just a hard-nosed, honest player and great person. Marcel Dion. Uh, one of the best players I ever played with. And finally, Dave Taylor. Dave Taylor was my idol. I have a very soft spot for Dave Taylor in my heart. He's always been good to me. He took me under my, under his wing when I came into the league and, uh, just an unbelievable person and will give you the shirt off his back. He's just been tremendous to me. Well, again, Harpo, thanks again. It was a, it was a pleasure having you on today and, uh, best of luck in the future. We'll be watching for you. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Well, that's it. Another Mayor's Manor interview has come to an end. As always, hope you enjoyed what you heard, and thanks for listening. Until next time, be sure to keep up with all the news by following along on mayorsmanor.com or over on Twitter at twitter.com slash mayor119. And, of course, don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mayorsmanor. Have a great week.